Today on The Journey. Do you wear the garment of humility? Is it demonstrated in your life? Do you think of others more highly than yourself? The garment of humility is a demonstration that God is at work in your life. You are beloved by the Heavenly Father. And with that love, He has clothed you in righteousness. In addition, He's provided apparel that identifies you as His child to a watching world. Ron Moore details the first two pieces of that wardrobe in just a moment. Plus, after the message, I'll let you know about Ron's devotional booklet titled Garments of Grace. In it, you'll discover eight items of spiritual clothing God wants every believer to wear. Garments of Grace is available as a digital download for a donation of any amount at ronmore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with part two of the message, Garments of Grace on the Journey. Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, chosen by God, holy, set apart, dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now let's continue today to look at the garments of grace. First, humility. The word translated humility means to be modest means to be unassuming. Humility is a mindset. It's an attitude that demonstrates itself in appropriate actions. Now, humility is not self-flagellation. You don't have to be like a monk and shave a bald spot on the back of your head and dress in a plain robe and walk around beating yourself on the back. Humility does not begin on the outside, but it first adorns the heart, then it's demonstrated in your life. Humility first recognizes that every good thing comes from God. Humility is a constant realization that every good thing is by God's grace. Pride says, because I am faithful, God will bless me. Humility says, God is at work in my life. He is the one who has motivated me. He is the one who has enabled me to be faithful by his grace. See the difference? Alex Haley, the late author of Roots, had a picture in his office. Framed on his wall was a picture of a turtle on a fence post. And Haley prized that picture because he said it was a constant reminder to him of a lesson he learned long ago. Here's what he said. If you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had to have some help. And anytime I start thinking, wow, isn't this marvelous what I've done? I look at that picture and remember how this turtle, me, got up on that post. We are all, in a sense, turtles on a fence post. God is the one who puts us wherever we are 
And anytime we begin to think, isn't it great what I've accomplished for God? Isn't it great what I'm doing? We need to think of that turtle on that post and realize that it's God who has put us there. Now, at the same time, humility does not deny the work of God in our life. Humility recognizes, as Christ said, that no branch can bear fruit by itself. The production of spiritual fruit in our life should be occasion for joy and celebration, not for downplaying what God is doing. If God is at work in our life, when he is at work in our life, we should give credit where credit is due. Suppose that you gave me a gift. Do you think of the gift in your mind? And you gave me this gift. And I have it in my hand. And someone walks by and says, man, this is a cool thing that you have. And I said, yeah, I don't know. It's not that great. I don't like it, actually. It's not very neat. And I began downplaying this gift that you've given. And you hear that. Now, what are you going to think about that? How are you going to feel? You have sacrificially given me a gift. And I'm saying, eh, it's nothing. On the other hand, if you come to me and you say, this is a cool thing you have in your hand, I say, yeah, isn't this great? This is a gift that was given to me by so-and-so. They gave this to me, and, and look at it. Look how neat it is. Then you're going to say, yeah, he really appreciated the gift. And so it is when God works in our life, when he produces fruit, when good things happen, it is false humility to say, oh, you know, that's nothing. Our response should be, isn't it great? God is at work in my life. It's all by him. I'm like a turtle on a fence post. And we have opportunity to praise God for what he has done in our life. Now, humility is demonstrated in two directions. It's first demonstrated vertically and then horizontally. Let's think vertically first. Humility begins with a high view of the person of God. An understanding that God is the maker of heaven and earth, that he is the one who hung the stars, that he is the redeemer, that he is the one who said, this far the ocean goes and no more. He calls the stars by name and he puts them all in place. Heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. God's perfect will is going to be accomplished and humility begins with a high and honored view of the person of God. So the first question is, do you have a high view of God? And is that demonstrated in your life? In his book, The Problem with Pain, C.S. Lewis wrote this. We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. A senile benevolence who, as they say, likes to see young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of the day, a good time was had by all. It's true, isn't it? There are times when we want to use God instead of allow Him using us. And that is a form not of humility, but of pride. Have you humbled yourself to be used by God? Do you have a high view of God? How about humility of doctrine? While there are essentials that we would die for, there are some other things in Scripture that haven't been nailed down yet in our minds. And we can have unity among those things without saying, if you don't believe this, then you're really not the spiritual person you should be. And if you don't believe this, then you're really not the spiritual person you should be. There's a humility 
and we come before God regarding doctrine. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1 says this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you have built for me, God asks. Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one thing I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. So here's a second question. Do you tremble at the word of God? Do you read the word of God? And when you do, do you tremble at it? Do you approach it with humility? Do you approach it with the desire to be obedient to it? Blatant disobedience is the highest form of sinful pride. Because you're saying, God, I know what's best for me. Here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to do it. Forget what you say. I'm going to do it my way. Do you tremble at the word of God? James chapter 1, verse 21 says this, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Humility results in obedience. And when we're disobedient, that is a form of pride. Humility is not only vertical to God, but horizontal with each other. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you consider others better than yourself? Paul says that's what humility is about. This is so demonstrated in the life of Paul. Earlier on, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Later on in his life, he says in Ephesians chapter 3, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then, in one of his last letters, when he knows that his death is imminent, he says this to Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul realized the high view of God. He realized the grace of God. And he realized where he stood before God the worst of sinners. And sometimes we don't really evaluate our hearts enough to get to that point. But Paul did. And he lived in a society, Paul's day, where humility was not a virtue. A self-assertion and promotion and power, that was a virtue. And it still is, isn't it? But Christ turned that on his head when he stooped down to wash the feet of the disciples. And then he did the ultimate. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this, Your attitude, your mindset, your heart's desire should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being 
the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. Do you wear the garment of humility? Is it demonstrated in your life? Is it demonstrated first before the holy God? Do you think of others more highly than yourself? The garment of humility is a demonstration. God is at work in your life. One more. Gentleness. Paul says another thing that you need to clothe yourself with, and it goes right along with humility, is gentleness. Gentleness is an active virtue that deals sensitively with those around us, demonstrating uh, dignity and honor and respect to those we come in contact with. Gentleness is not a weakness. Gentleness is not a wimpishness. Gentleness is best described as strength under control. The word is used of a gentle wind. A wind can be strong, but here's a gentle wind, strength under control. It's used of a healing medicine. Too much medicine can be hurtful, but just the right amount can be healing. Strength under control. It's used of a colt that has been broken. The strength of an animal under control. Are you gentle? We see this characteristic as we look at Scripture, the person of God. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah is talking here about the power of the Almighty God. And he says this in verse 10, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. Skip down to verse 15. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs all the islands as though they were fine dust. And then down to verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these things? He who brings out the starry host one by one calls them all by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And all through Isaiah chapter 40, you read of the strength and the power of God. Now right in the middle of that, look at verse 11. Right in the middle, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Strength under control. In the middle of his power, in the middle of the one who weighs the islands like fine dust, those same hands take the lambs. He gathers them in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Strength under control. We see that, of course, in the life of Christ. As he deals with those in sin, as he deals with the Samaritan woman, as he mentors his disciples, as he deals with Zacchaeus, the one who is clearly in the wrong, he says this, Jesus does come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble 
in heart and you're going to find rest in your soul. Let's end by asking this question. Let me give you six things to answer it. How is gentleness demonstrated in life? It's fine to know what it is. It's fine to be able to define it. It's fine to be able to jot down some verses. But how is it demonstrated in life? Here's the first way. A person who is gentle does not express himself or herself dogmatically. Some people are so dogmatic, they are so opinionated, that others are afraid to express their opinions to them because they know that person is going to blast them with the right way to do it. And if you don't have to deal with that person, you avoid them. But if they are in your family or a co-worker or a boss, then it's easy for bitterness and anger to result. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So gentleness is not demonstrated by an opinionated, dogmatic, my way or the highway attitude. That's far from gentleness. Secondly, gentleness shows respect for others. Every person is made in the image of God. Every person, regardless of race, regardless of position in society, you don't judge another person by the career they have or the car they drive or the house they live in and the color of their skin. We're told not only in Titus chapter 3, but Philippians chapter 4, show gentleness to all men, believers and non-believers alike. Thirdly, gentleness avoids blunt and abrasive speech. Some people pride themselves in saying, well, hey, you know me, you know my personality. I just say what I think. Let the chips fall where they may. I mean, someone's got to say it. I'll just tell them what I think. I don't care if they're blown away. I don't care if it hurts. They need to hear it. That's not the spirit of Christ. That is not the spirit of gentleness. James says this, with the same tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with the same tongue, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Blunt and abrasive speech are far from the garment of gentleness. Four, gentleness does not degrade or belittle or gossip about a person who falls into sin. Doesn't write that person off. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. The writer of Hebrews talks about the human high priest and says this, That high priest is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. So when you see someone fall into sin, the gentle spirit goes to them, gently confronts them, gently helps them, gently instructs them while guarding our own heart as well because we are weak and but by God's grace would fall and could fall into that same sin. Number five, gentleness never retaliates. It's not defensive. It doesn't take everything personally. It's not threatened by someone else. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25 says this, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel, 
Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And finally, and this may be the most difficult one, gentleness is shown even to those who are harsh with us. When we have the garment of gentleness, we respond in that way. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says this, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against you, your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. Gentleness means that you wear that garment even when others are harsh with you. So the basic question is, are you wearing, by God's grace, the garments of humility and gentleness? And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. When wanting to look your best in public, do you care about the appearance of your clothing? And the same question could be asked of your spiritual apparel, especially of those garments God has provided by His grace. They comprise an eight-piece ensemble made of heaven's finest virtues. You'll find that collection in Ron's PDF booklet titled Garments of Grace. In Garments of Grace, Ron describes each piece and how it's to be worn for God's glory. But here's a warning. When you don this wardrobe, you will be conspicuous. In a world dressed in filthy clothing, torn and tattered by sin, your attire will shine like the stars. Garments of Grace is yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. Again, that web address is ronmore.org. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let's join Ron for a preview of our next broadcast. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, Clothe yourself with these things, with compassion, with kindness, these garments of grace like humility, gentleness, patience. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in the perfect unity. We've been looking at these virtues over the last week. We're going to look at four today, beginning with patience. Patience is God-given grace to wait. And we don't like to wait, do we? The virtue of patience is described with words like steadfastness and perseverance. Now, patience does not mean that we sit around and twiddle our thumbs with the flippant attitude of whatever happens will happen. 
It doesn't mean that sometimes in our life there's not a sense of urgency to get things done, particularly when it comes to spiritual growth. But rather, patience is active. It is victorious endurance. It is bold perseverance. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. We don't want you to be lazy, but we want you rather to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised to them. We don't want you to sit around and twiddle your thumbs. We want you to be active in your walk with the Lord and everything that entails. We want you to imitate, we want you to act like those who have gone before you and have demonstrated faith and patience in their life. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And please remember to get your copy of Ron Moore's digital devotional, Garments of Grace. In its pages, you'll discover spiritual apparel for the well-dressed Christian. Garments of Grace is yours for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmoore.org. That's ronmoore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the real conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening. And we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on The Journey.